Hi, and welcome to your Owen podcast, podcast for the Ontario Animal Health Network. I'm Dr. Melanie Barham, Owen coordinator, and today I'm joined by several great people from OMAFRA. We're going to be highlighting the route that um, that food and welfare um, issues take uh, throughout OMAFRA and highlighting some of the important things that veterinarians should know. So today I'm joined by first uh, Sherry Taylor, Compliance and Advisory Officer in the Regulatory Compliance Unit within OMAFRA. Welcome, Sherry. Thanks for having me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your unit's work within OMAFRA? Well, I work with the Regulatory Compliance Unit of OMAFRA, and we're a supportive unit for various ministry program areas. So the Animal Health and Welfare Branch would probably be the big one that uh, vets would be most concerned with. Uh, the meat inspection program, um, obviously that's where all the animals end up. And we also deal with produce, so the foods of plant origin, um, there's uh, dead stock regulation, eggs, honey, maple syrup. Um, under the Milk Act, we work as well making sure that uh, milk products are made in licensed plants. Okay, great. And what's your role specifically within uh, within the unit? My role, I'm an officer, so I receive uh, files so they come into our unit as complaints and they're risk assessed to see if um, what the level of severity is the likelihood of it occurring and then we respond to them and we do so with a progressive compliance approach so if it's a first time that we're hearing about maybe a specific complaint about someone we would go out in our first uh, step of progressive compliance is to educate them Um, because there's so many rules Uh, We want them to know first what the regulation is, how they're not in compliance with it, and how we can bring them into compliance with it. Um, The second part of progressive compliance is us then monitoring it to make sure that they are staying in compliance and that what we've told them and educated them has sunk in and that we've been clear and they understand the expectations. Now, if they don't uh, choose to be in compliance, and some people have various motivations for not wanting to be in compliance, uh, usually it's financial. Mm-hmm. Um, we have other ways of dealing that with that, and Erin uh, Chesterfield's here this morning, and she'll be speaking more about the enforcement area Aaron's of that. Erin's the big meanie that has to come in after you've, after you've tried to be nice. Yeah, she's the one that uh, ensures that sometimes you have to use other methods to get people to stay in compliance. So. Anyways, uh, so mine's more of an education and advisory role. Um, So kind of an average day of my job would be going out and responding to these complaints. It might be illegal slaughter that's happening. So um, sometimes people don't understand that they can't go out to the sales barn, buy a couple of lambs, take them back into the city, into their backyards, and kill them in their backyards. Okay. Um, There's a producer exemption for farmers to be able to be slaughtering for their own use. Okay. Um, but we need to make sure that things like that are being used correctly within the legislation. Um, and uh, I do a lot of calls regarding meat processing. So if someone was smoking meat, um, I'd often work hand-in-hand with the public health units to make sure that uh, um, we stop any regulated activities that require a license. And like selling like selling it on? If it's for your own use, it's probably... Yeah, own uses would be exempt with smoking and processing. Um, Sometimes it uh, starts out its own use, and then there's, uh, you know, by word of mouth, and people coming over to parties, things get a little bigger, and then it becomes into a commercialized uh, business. And that's generally at the point where we get complaints, because it does uh, impact other uh, licensed people that are abiding by the regulations. Sure, and and public health concerns, I'd imagine. Absolutely. Um, and we deal with uh, fallen animals. Um, 
I know everybody here is going to talk a lot about that this morning. Yeah. A fallen animal is basically one that's likely to die of a disease or some other condition or emaciated. I'm paraphrasing the legislation a bit there. Um, so, and that's where the veterinarians can uh, really work with us. I'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, we also deal with ungraded eggs, um, so I might be called out to a farm that maybe some farm gate sales have now turned into supplying the bake shop in town, and uh, oh, okay. those eggs need to be graded. Okay, gotcha. Uh, we also <laughs> investigate uh, beef cattle claims, so if a farmer wasn't paid for their cattle, um, we investigate those, and then if everything checks out all right, there is a fund where producers can apply to get money and compensation for those cattle. Okay, so sorry, that's for like um, if they don't get paid by the sales barn or something like that, or from the slaughter plant? Could be either, yeah. Okay. Yeah, could be a private uh, treaty deal. Um, certainly, we do need the the cattle buyers to be licensed that's Mm -hmm. sort of the first step in that but yes okay gotcha okay so um so we sort of talked a little bit about some of the situations you'd get involved with are there any other ones that you think vets would be interested in knowing or should know about um not maybe related to vets but um labeling of fruits and vegetables uh we sometimes have a problem with that in ontario people bringing up mexican produce oh and then they turn it into Foodland Ontario and locally grown. And obviously that's oh, for a financial right. reason. So if there's sure. any of uh, that stuff going on, that's what our unit deals with. And okay. we rely on the general public at large just to let us know about those so that we can okay. correct it. I see. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. And then <clears throat> what should veterinarians know about your role and about the unit's role and where, where they fit into that picture? Uh, Like I mentioned before, the fallen animals, um, that's where we can really work with veterinarians. Um, The education component of it is absolutely key. Uh, Vets can give me a call. Um, I'm either at the Woodstock OMAFRA office. It's 519-537-7936 is my direct line. Or um, they can call the Regulatory Compliance Unit, which is up in Guelph at head office. And it's 519-826-826. Four five three seven. Um, so the educational materials that we can provide to keep producers out of hot water and sending the correct animals to the sales barns and then helping decide which ones should be euthanized at the farms that mm-hmm. are not suitable for going through a public sale. They might be too weak. Um, we've had animals even with LDAs that are getting sent to the sales barn. Right. And, of course, they're already off feeding water. So if you find one... Monday, you know, sending it direct on to the Tuesday sale, it's already been off feed for probably a day. Mm-hmm. And then the stress of the transport and intermixing with the other animals at the sales, they get compromised pretty quickly. And if an animal's going to go down and look like she's going to die, it's going to be one of these ones that have something wrong with it. Okay. So I guess there's a few simple questions we can make it very simplistic. Um, Ask yourself or ask your clients when they're shipping something, is it healthy, can it walk freely, and would I eat it? And if you can't say yes to those questions, it probably should either be sent direct to slaughter. And I know Dr. Reed, who's here this morning, will talk a little bit about options that can happen with that. But um, there are better options for some, and some the only option really to do the humane and right thing would be to euthanize them. Okay. So um, I have lots of handouts for that, and we can send those out to anybody basically that asks. Or yeah, that'd if, be great. If vets are doing producer days too uh, for their guys, we can put together packages so that they oh, can help educate. Okay, yeah, because I see uh, you, have spray, you have sprayed out on the table in front of us some 
good, nice, pretty looking handouts as far as decision trees and that kind of thing. So, <clears throat> so yeah. we can post those. We can post links to those if they're posted on Amafra, or we can um, or we can share them on the password protected side of, of Owen if people are interested. So that would be great because okay. the last thing uh, we want to happen to people is for them to be getting charged under this legislation. We want it just to to not happen. Sure. We yeah. want animals uh, to be treated properly. Um, it's important to uh, the people in Ontario. There there is no place in our society for the abuse or neglect of animals, and yeah. at public sales there. Are, they are public. Uh, could be people that have been removed from the farm for generations that don't even understand what they're seeing. And Just coming out to see a cow for the first time or something, yeah. Yeah, and it's a, if they happen <laughs> to see one that is in a poor condition, you know, that reflects poorly on the whole industry, and that doesn't bode well for anybody. So. Sure, sure. Yeah, right. and, and, and ultimately, I suppose if the animal is not going to, uh, if the animal is not going to be, is going to be condemned at slaughter or have to be euthanized at some point along that trail, it wasn't a worthwhile endeavor, anyways. So that's right. You're distressing an animal for the. You already know the end result. Uh, right. We have inspectors out at the plants, and they'll catch it and it'll yeah. be euthanized, anyways. Okay, very good. All right, well, thanks very much, Sherry. Anything else you wanted to add before we move on to Aaron? Um, probably an important thing for vets to know um, to tell their their clients would be the penalty section if they huh. do make a poor decision. If and vets make a poor decision. No, if oh, the producers okay. make a poor decision. Okay, phew. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and ship an animal that should not have left the farm. Okay. Um, maximum $25,000 for an individual sending a fallen animal uh, for transporting it, moving right. it, and failing to euthanize it. And a corporation can be up to 100000 So wow. they're, they're very steep penalties and... Uh, now, would you say uh, in this day and age, people are, are you guys levying more fines now than you were a few years ago? Yeah, there has been, um, there is zero tolerance at uh, sales for fallen animals. Mm -hmm. So those ones, um, I would say 100% of them are coming through our unit and okay. either uh, going for investigation or and possibly getting charged. Okay, good to know. Um, all right, thank you very much. Okay, so next I'm joined by Aaron Chesterfield, who is an agriculture investigator within the Agriculture Investigation Unit in Omafra. So welcome, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Um, okay, so Aaron, do you want to tell us a bit about your unit's work within Omafra? Sure. Um, to start with a quick background, we were previously with the Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry. So just this past January, our unit was moved back to uh, Omafra. So we're working out with the transition there. Um, we have seven investigators throughout the province, um, and we have one supervisor, and our unit is actually now newly under the food safety and traceability branch. So we are responsible for conducting investigations of offenses under um, OMAFRA legislation. Our legislation is including but not limited to a lot of the things that Sherry just talked about, uh, the Food Safety and Quality Act, the Milk Act, Animals for Research Act, Beef Cattle Marketing Act, Livestock and Livestock Products Acts, and so on from there. Okay, great. And what's your specific role? Like, what would an average day look like for you? So our role involves investigating files that we receive from RCU, which uh, Sherry just spoke of. A day could consist of anything from surveillance, uh, working in the office, collecting and analyzing case information, taking statements, going out into the field and serving summons to summon someone to court. So it's uh, not like you're like breaking down the doors on barns all the time? And no, <laughs> not at all. No, okay. <laughs> Although that does sound... <laughs> it does sound pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we work with other investigative partners. Uh, we do execute, execute search warrants. 
um, or we'll follow up on a fallen animal at a stockyard. Okay. Um, and how are, how are files referred to you? Like, how would you get a case? So firstly, OMAFRA receives a complaint, whether it be from a government agency, a non-government agency. It could be anonymous from any person in the public. Uh, from there, the re, uh, regulatory compliance unit analyzes the complaint, and it decides what actions will be taken. So it's a risk-based assessment determined from them, and they will determine the best course of action. So the complaint could be referred to another ministry. It could be referred to another agency in OMAFRA for inspection, or it could be consigned, assigned to a person like Sherry, a regulatory compliance officer, for inspection, or it may be referred directly to us. Okay. It's, it's like a repeat offender or something? Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Um, all right. So what kind of situations would you get involved with? So... Our days are really dynamic because no day is ever the same. So we're involved in many different situations, including illegal or inhumane slaughter, fallen animals, uh, or enforcement of Livestock Community Sales Act. I wanted to get in a little bit more to that because I think that people might be interested in this. So this act uh, provides for the licensing of community sales of consigned livestock in Ontario. Lives, or The legislation exists to prevent provide confidence in an orderly market, provide disease control, monitor human handling of the livestock, uh, things like that for the licensed operator. Uh, The Act and the regulations provide inspection, so appointed veterinarians and inspectors examine the livestock facilities and handling techniques to meet certain standards to ensure that livestock is marketed in compliance with mandated programs, so going back to what Sherry had mentioned earlier. Okay, at the so, livestock barns. And you mentioned the, co- the codes of practice, so kind of making sure that people are meeting those those codes of practice standards exactly. on their farm. Okay. Exactly. Okay, great. Um, and so what should veterinarians know about your job and what your unit does? Uh, they should be aware of the OMAFRA legislation, including uh, just going back to the fallen animal. So that's Regulation 10509. Specifically in Section 4, it says that Every person who is responsible for the care of and has control over a fallen animal shall promptly kill it or arrange for it to be killed in a humane manner in either case, and no person shall move a fallen animal before it is killed. So that's just going into the legislation part of what Sherry was explaining earlier. Okay. So just to go into a little more detail of the definition of a fallen animal, it means an animal that has been disabled by disease, emaciation, or another condition that is likely to cause its death. Okay, great. Um, okay, so basically veterinarians really wouldn't necessarily direct directly interact with you. It probably would go to our regulatory controls first, and then something would come to you, or in, in a rare instance there might, there might be a situation in a repeat offender or a very severe case that it might come directly to your unit. Is that right? Right. Okay. So when we're going into when I would deal with um, veterinarians... It would be when the investigation is underway, probably, and an investigator, uh, one of us may require a statement or photos or notes from an investigator, or sorry, from a veterinarian. Okay. So, and that's if they had a role in the file. And then furthermore, uh, it's essential for the investigation that the vet be able to provide photos or notes if they were part of the incident. Uh, This type of support is especially vital when... There's maybe a time gap between the complaint and the start of the investigation. So as you, as we were talking about before, how files are referred to us, there may be, it may be referred to the regulatory compliance unit first, mm-hmm. and 
they'll get the file and do the inspection and then it may come to us so you can imagine there could be quite a time gap there so when we're going back to take a statement from a veterinarian if they did play a role and they did see the animal um, it's really important that we get the details and obviously I'm sure most veterinarians see many many animals in a week so to recall this one animal right so if you see something odd then make sure you're recording additional details about the animal exactly like your tag number and what specifically happened and that kind of thing exactly okay. so and then when we come back we're not kind of catching yeah. you off guard and so if a, if a vet did see something that they were uncomfortable with or that they did want to make a report about um and they they did take some photographs is there anything like can they just take cell phone pictures or is that okay do they have to be is there anything like particular? Nope. Yeah, them? you can take photos with anything, anything you have at the time. Okay. So and I guess most of them are time stamped on your phone, anyways. Exactly. So, yeah. So that would probably be the time that we would deal with vets. Mm-hmm. Um, or there could be, uh, we could request an expert opinion from a veterinarian. So okay. that would mean that maybe they were involved in the case and maybe they weren't. But okay. that's also another time when we could call them if the, any file went to trial. Then. Okay. We could call upon one. How do you decide which vet to call? Um, I guess that would be my superiors deciding. When should vet? How could veterinarians contact you, and when should they? So, if you'd like to report an offense, you can call the secure line at five one nine eight two six four five three seven, or you can place an anonymous complaint. Um, If you wish to leave your name, then sometimes that's good for us because we can follow up with you and right. maybe follow up with more questions but if surely if you want to make an anonymous complaint then we'll take anything okay um alternatively you may email the regulatory.compliance at ontario.ca or we also have an electronic reporting center on our website okay um now one thing that um that's come up in uh not particularly with regards to animal welfare, but I know some veterinarians might feel uncomfortable with reporting on, on their clients per se, and maybe Sherry or, or Alex, you can chime in as well. But So if they did wish to make an, an anonymous complaint, they can do that. That's really comforting to know. If they did want to provide some additional details, can it be made anonymous afterwards, or does it have to be, does their identity become pub- part of public record? Uh, that's when it gets kind of tricky when taking a file, uh further into the investigative uh, role it if you do want to remain anonymous then it's best to remain anonymous uh, at the beginning all right um so are there any other things you'd like to share that veterinarians should be aware of or um just if anyone wants any more information then they can go to the omafra site for any legislation or specific questions or you can also go to the e-laws website it has all ontario laws there And, and then i just wanted to add um that uh, the OSPCA can be contacted if there is any evidence of mistreatment, even if it's a, a case where there may be no violation in OMAFRA legislation. Okay, very good. All right, thanks very much, Erin. Thank you. Okay. Okay, and joining me next is Dr. Alexandra Reed, Alex, um, who's the veterinary scientist within the Veterinary Inspection and Audit Unit within OMAFRA. So welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your unit's work within OMAFRA. Okay, so there's a handful of veterinarians in my unit. Um, 
we're mostly veterinarians and, and a couple of food safety advisors as well. So we work under the Food Safety and Quality Act mostly as regional veterinarians with the support of the food safety advisors. So we work with the provincially licensed um, slaughter plants to ensure like humane handling and safe food products coming out of the slaughter chain, as well as conducting annual compliance verification audits for the meat inspection program and the quarterly SRM audits with CFIA. Okay. So we provide daily support in by phone, in person, um, and through things like writing a protocols, policy, pretty much anything that comes up through the day regarding slaughter of animals. Okay. Um, and we have regulatory authority to, over pretty much anything to do with having animals at the plant, so holding animals in larage for extended periods of time, the handling and stunning at slaughter. My role is more with abnormalities of slaughter animals on anti and postmortem and carcass handling and storage as well as like the inedible materials condemned carcasses and uh, animal disposal okay plants and what specifically is your role within the unit so i am the veterinary scientist which is a dedicated role to triage urgent issues within meat plants related to pathology and welfare issues so I spend most of my day discussing animals that are abnormal in some way on anti-mortem or post-mortem inspection. So an example could be an animal that appears to have an illness, like a market hog with an umbilical hernia. So I would discuss with the inspector the extent of it, how the animal appears, how it was transported to the plant, and decide if it's fit for slaughter, if it needs to be euthanized for pain and suffering, or if we need to do some follow-up with other agencies like CFIA, who has control over the humane mm -hmm. transport of animals. So first of all, really super that that, you, that OMAFRA has that. I think that's really a positive thing for the health and welfare of animals. Um, and I know any time that I've been in a meeting with you, especially in the mornings, it's been like your phone is raining off the hooks. You guys obviously do have a lot of back and forth with your inspectors. Yeah, I think we have a really good communication strategy with our inspectors. They're really, I find it with, especially with what I do, they're really keen. Like they, they like protecting animal welfare. Mm -hmm. They get really upset when people do something they shouldn't have done. And for them, like... It sounds a little bit off, but finding pathology is almost like the exciting point in their day. You know, like <laughs> everything's been kind okay. of the same, and then they find something, and they're they're really excited, and they want to talk about it, and they like okay. learning from it too, right? Like to them, it's a good yeah. educational. And lots of pictures back. And, and lots of pictures. Yeah. Like cell phones have been really nice because I can get yeah. photos and videos from all across Ontario. Yeah, back in the old days, it must have been. Do you guys have carrier pigeons? Or I have no idea how they did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cool. So yeah, that's kind of nice, the use of technology as well to, yep. to further animal welfare. Yep. Um, and you also are a part of our Owen calls too a yes. lot of times. So Alex, uh, Alex provides a lot of the interpretation for the condemnation data from OMAFRA, which is just really really a wonderful thing for our, our calls. So. Yeah, I think it didn't go back to a lot of people. Like animals left the farm and they didn't know where they go, so it's mm -hmm. nice to give them some feedback. Yeah, that's back. great. Um, so let's touch a little bit more on animal welfare since we just sort of tip, touched the tip of the iceberg on that. So tell me a little bit about the role of your group with, um, with animal welfare. Sure. So one of the things I do is triage animal welfare issues at the plant. So one of the major things is the transport of animals are identified as compromised. They're okay. somehow not quite perfect and in good condition. So um, we have the inspectors contact me when they notice something abnormal and then send me pictures or a video and we can talk about it. You know, is it a non-painful condition and the animal was transported appropriately, so segregated from larger animals that could knock it around, good bedding for good footing, and straight to the nearest abattoir, or is it something that shouldn't have been transported? And then I, um, I involve other agencies who may need to be involved, so again, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency for mm -hmm. the Humane Transport. Sometimes it's COSBCA, and sometimes if we deem them fallen, it would go back to, to Sherry and Erin okay. for follow-up. Okay, great. 
Um, so what should veterinarians know about, um, about your role and, and about what happens with, uh, with Omafra? So I think one of the most important things to emphasize is we have someone available in our unit by pager 24-7. Wow. So if they're on the farm and they have a question about an animal someone wants to ship to slaughter, they can actually page us. Our number is one 866 Three nine five eight nine five seven. So if you just remember my name, Alex Reed, mm-hmm. if I'm not actually at work, my pager is forwarded to someone. So someone can provide you with advice. Is something fit for slaughter? Is there one of our other programs to get the animal slaughtered? So we have an emergency slaughter program. Mm-hmm. So you get them inspected on the farm, stunned and bled out, and then transported to an abattoir in a way that makes protects the food safety aspects wow. of doing that. So, um, and somebody from a, a meat ins- or a, a provincial plant would come to the farm? Um, it's actually one of our appointed veterinarians. So oh. we have a series of veterinarians across Ontario that are appointed under the Food Safety and mm-hmm. Quality Act to provide these sort of contract services. Oh, neat. So if we can't physically be there, you know, if an inspector, some of our inspectors still struggle with cell phones. So if, you know, the lighting's really bad and we can't get a good picture, I can send in a vet to take a look at it. But they can also do things like these on-farm slaughters. Oh, that's great. That's really good. That's really good to know. Okay, and we will post those a number. We'll post all the numbers that we've talked about here on the website um, for Owen, and also on the podcast page for people yeah, to know about. Yeah, and I've about. got a link for looking up the emergency slaughter process. Okay. So, what sort of criteria we're looking for, or what sort of things are fit. Oh, fantastic! As well as our slaughter stats, so the numbers of animals. We actually put the prices on our website every year: condemnations, drug residues, mm-hmm. that and that's something thing. new. The drug residues and condemnations weren't previously online, so yeah. now they now they are. So. Yeah, and they're going to be posted in theory, quarterly okay. from now on. Yep. And there's also a link to compromised animals that goes through the, the humane transport policy and what is would be considered a compromised animal. So it's just important to recognize in the um, compromised animal policies that there's an exemption of transporting a compromised animal to a veterinarian for treatment. Okay, great. So, um, yeah, as far as veterinarians uh, getting in contact with you, you've covered that. Now, are there things that you kind of wish that veterinarians knew or that you would really like for them to know as a takeaway from this? If they're giving advice on something going for slaughter, think about the length of time. Because a lot of vets, I think, say, yeah, that's fit for slaughter. They leave the farm, but they don't realize the animal's not leaving that afternoon. It might be Mm -hmm. leaving after the weekend. It might be next week is what the day they have time to take it. Okay. So they need to think about giving that time limit. Like, right now, it's good for slaughter. Let's try and get it there today. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And making sure people know not to take them to the sales barn, because like Sherry and Erin have both said, often these things end up at sales barns, and they really, they can't stand that length of transport, being held at the sales, and then trying to get to an abattoir, they often don't do well. Okay, great. Um, And then the other question that had uh, come up was, uh, in my mind, was what happens as a... um, if you're a vet at a sales barn and you make a decision about an animal and you want to find out what happened to that animal? So right now we don't have a reporting mechanism for every animal that gets tagged direct to slaughter, but if there's someone who really wants follow-up, they can ask Mike Draper or Corey Campbell, who are the inspectors in the Livestock Community Sales Act program, and they can send me the tag numbers and where that animal is going, and I'll find out for you. So good if you're the vet to take take a tag number so that they can follow up, yeah? Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, so if there were a couple of things, um, so Sherry and Erin, I just uh, wondered if there was anything else you wanted to share as far as key takeaways for veterinarians, like things that you would really like for them to know as they as they leave this podcast. Sherry, go ahead. I'd like to encourage the vets to have that open communication with the producers to discuss the cull animals, why they're culling them, um, where they're going to go, 
and then they can provide them good education. You know, maybe they are suitable to go through the sales barn. Maybe they're one that should be sent yet that day within the next six or eight hours direct to a local abattoir. Or maybe they're a candidate for euthanasia that are not suitable to be going off of the farm. Um, taking the temperatures before shipping these animals is key too, especially if it's one that, uh, you know, has maybe been a bit non-responsive to treatments. Because mm-hmm. uh, if their temperature is over, I think it's about 39 and a half, they really shouldn't even be le- leaving the farm because they will get condemned at the sale or at a meat plant regardless. Okay. So. Yeah. So good for producers, for vets to encourage producers to always take a temperature before they ship. It's actually yeah. illegal to ship an animal with an unresponsive fever. Okay, and Alex is Alex Reed is just uh, sharing with us that it's uh, it's actually uh, illegal to uh, to ship an animal with an unresponsive fever. So. That's really good. Uh, really good point to make. And all of these are uh, listed out very clearly. Mm-hmm. There's an excellent decision tree um, in the educational materials. Yeah. So again, just contact me, and uh, we can ship you out some information to uh, okay, help the producers. Perfect. Yeah, great. All right, Erin, from you. Uh, I just wanted to encourage veterinarians to make sure they're um, making reports. Uh, we often do look to the veterinarians when we have a file for their reports and their expert opinion on the animal that's in question. So uh, even if it's just the last five minutes before you're leaving a farm and the farm, the producer asks you uh, about a certain cow back in the corner, just if it is something that stands out and it's abnormal, then maybe just make a quick note because that cow could be coming to us and we might come back and be asking questions. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I think it seems, it seems fairly clear that throughout most of this, like most of the most of the producers and most of the, most of the veterinarians are, everybody's out there trying to do their best and everybody's doing, and by and large, everybody is, you know, everybody's trying to do the right thing and animal welfare is certainly key and paramount in the most, most people's mind. Um, just in situations where, where we're getting into issues, then it's good to have some extra resources and documentation. So Okay, perfect. Thank you guys very, very much.